opening up my computer. So um, just a couple of things that I want to cover before we get into the word. Um, if, you, if you have your Bible, we're going to 2 Peter chapter 1. You can uh, go there. Uh, I did put it on the screen today because I used a translation that's a little bit different. Uh, but if you're going to use the Pew Bible, if you want to have it in front of you to follow along, it's on page 1027, uh, 2 Peter chapter 1. We're going to go there. And just a couple things that I wanted to, to talk about. First, thank you to the North Central team. Um, during my years here, uh, I've worked at camp a lot of years, and one of my roles at camp a lot of those years was to work with the traveling teams that we've had come in. And I can tell you that North Central is always known for its musical excellence, uh, always has been, probably always will be. Um, but the heart of worship and the heart to serve that has started to come out of North Central, not that it was terrible before, um, but it's just different. It's like a whole different level. Um, I've shared that with other people, and, uh, but you guys are fantastic, and not just because you can play well, uh, but because you know how to worship and you know how to serve, and so we're excited to have you at our camp again this year. Uh, unfortunately, I won't be there, but uh, you guys will have a great time, and uh, you'll love the Black Hills Retreat Center. Hopefully, it doesn't snow, um, but <laughs> they do have some snow piles still on the ground, so it'll be a great week, and uh, it has snowed at camp before, though, I mean summer camp. It's rain mixed with snow, and so it'll be fine, um, as long as it doesn't hail. I mean, we can handle snow. But anyway, I wanted to let you know one more thing, because this week, um, I, I may not be here next Sunday. Um, this week, I'll be having, I'm scheduled to have surgery on Tuesday, and so Lord, if the Lord doesn't heal me before then, I'll be doing that, and uh, it'll just be great. Although, Mark Apple volunteered to punch me in the gut today, pull a Smith's Wigglesworth, but uh, I told him, you know, if I'm healed, good. If not, I'm throwing a table at you or something. But, uh, but because of that, I wanted to let you know about a guest that's coming on June the 16th. Uh, it's Father's Day Sunday, and his name is Jason Newstater. And Jason and I met, oddly, I shared this story uh, probably, I don't know, I have a son that's graduating in 2021, and so it's just crazy that, um, so I don't know when it was, but it was, you know, a year or two ago, but many of you might remember Kenny and Sherry Grubb. Kenny and Sherry were members here for a number of years, and they moved away, and their daughter, Michaela, now works on a Native American reservation in North Dakota, and she has stopped here a few times on her way through, and a team was traveling from Missouri to North Dakota to work with her, and Sherry called us in Sherry fashion uh, the day of and said, hey, could you put up a team of like eight people at your house tonight? And my wife is like, sure, and I'm like, no. <laughs> so I'm sure in the Bible there's something about be hospitable, but you know, the Lord is working on me. Um, but the crazy thing is, is when Jason came, there was such a connection. Um, so many things in our lives just dissect or cross-sected in that moment. And he is from Canada originally. He's a Mennonite. And he was at church in Brooklyn, New York under Bill Wilson. And uh, some of this is going to be clear a little bit later in the service today. But um, Bill Wilson, and he worked for Bill Wilson. But uh, that's not a place a Mennonite usually goes to work. Because Bill Wilson is Pentecostal. It's a Pentecostal ministry. And he had John Bevere teaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit to the staff. And Jason is listening to this sermon. And in his mind, he's going through all the reasons he doesn't believe it. But during the sermon, he gets baptized in the Holy Spirit. And he really is learning now a whole new paradigm, doesn't know what to do. He's getting on the subway, and he's talking about seeing people highlighted. 
Like he sees their back highlighted or he sees their arm highlighted. And so he knows they need to be healed. So he starts praying and people start getting healed. And anyway, he's coming on June 16th, Father's Day, and he's coming at his own expense. It's a long story, but I wanted to make you aware of it because I want you to be here. I want you to make plans for it. Bring some friends with you. Um, I have no idea what he's going to share, but uh, I know it'll be a blessing. He's coming to build the kingdom and uh, we're excited for it. So Pastor John also this week is going to be at summer camp, so be praying for our campers this week, high school camp, and then kids camp next week, so he'll actually be gone until June the 15th, he'll be back just in time for Jason Newstater on the 16th, and so uh, things are going to be a little crazy around here for a couple weeks, but that's all right, God's good, amen? amen? All right, good. Now today, we're going to talk about growing daily or dying gradually, and you know, the this sermon actually came to be because of a, a devotional that I've been reading and that I passed on to our track team at State Track just last week, um, shared this devotional with them. And I don't know if you can remember back to high school, I mean, our one graduate that's here today, but if you can remember back, if there were ever times where you were just sitting in a class, like maybe algebra, and you just thought, why am I in this class? Like, why am I ever going to need this? I mean, maybe you plan to be an engineer or a mathematician or something, and you, you, maybe you knew why you would need algebra, but chances are you were like, I, I don't get it, I don't understand it. Or maybe that you, hopefully in history class, you never thought that because, you know, if we don't learn from history, we're doomed to repeat it. Uh, hopefully some of us took civics classes so we understand how our government works, which many in our society don't know because we're not a democracy, we're a democratic republic. You can look it up later, but you know, some of these classes are important and we can see the connection, but there's a lot of classes where like, I, I don't see the connection, I don't know why I'm learning this, I don't know why I have to, or the rules. You know, whether it's at school or at home, it's like, sheesh, why do I have to do these things? Why does someone have to tell me what to do? Cut me some slack. I can make my own decisions. I can make my own choices. And sometimes we have to do things in life, not just in high school, but in life, that we don't see the point. We don't see the connection. We don't know, you know, why, why does this even matter? And I, I believe it, it does matter. I believe there is a point to stuff. I think there's even an, a point to algebra. I mean, learning some of those concepts and helping our brains develop in certain ways, there are, are things that we just need to do. And I, I get it. There's problems with our educational system, and I'm not here to defend it or to tear it apart today. But I'm, I'm here to say that a lot of times in our culture, we all think we know it all. And we all think we know how to fix the educational system, even if we've never taken a psychology class or an educational class at all. We all think we know better. We know better than our kids' teachers, and so we kind of like beat them up at conferences and we rail on them because they don't know how to teach our kids. Got real quiet there. But, you know, it's just it's where we are. And, you know, I mean, I'm not a doctor, but I do have WebMD, so I probably know more than my doctor, even though he went to medical school and did a residency and, you know, had all these people speaking into his life, but I have WebMD. But that's the kind of culture that we have. And so even if, if we don't see the point or the connection, some of us just don't do it or we just give up on it. And we don't see how every single day of our lives, our choices matter. And every single day of our lives, we are actually either growing daily or we're dying gradually. 
I mean, we tend to think that there are these big moments in life that somewhere out there, I'll be successful once these circumstances change or once, you know, these things line up or once I get out of my parents' house or once I get to call my own shots. But what we don't realize is being under our parents' authority in our parents' house and doing things that we don't think we need to do or have to do or following the rules of our school or actually developing in our lives the type of character that are going to make us successful later in life. And we try to short-circuit that because, again, we have the internet, we have our unsubstantiated data, and we can prove it somehow that, you know, we're right. But it's not always about being right. I don't think God puts authority in our lives. I don't think he puts a boss in our life because our boss is always right. How many of you, your boss is always right? Any of you? I mean, they're always right? No, they're not always right. Sometimes, except for you. Yeah, that's right. Your boss is always right. <laughs> No, not even you. But the, the thing is, is they're not put in our lives because they're always going to make the right choice. Sometimes they're actually led to maybe make a, a bad choice so that we get to see our reaction. So we get to see whether we're going to mouth off about them or go behind their back or we're going to go to them and try to make that situation better because character development is important in our lives. And so sometimes God places us under an authority that maybe isn't always right because, you know, who is always ever right. And so we're coming to 2 Peter chapter 1 because I believe our ability to succeed long term hinges on our day-to-day -day choices. And it probably matters more than many of us even realize. And I'm not saying that big moments don't matter. I'm not saying that the big choices don't matter. I just feel like the small ones don't get the credit they deserve. I mean, summer camp is important. I feel like everyone needs to go to summer camp. There's something about getting away from your normal routine and shutting off your cell phone and really fixing your heart on God. I think God can speak and maybe reveal some things. But it's in between camp that our growth happens. I mean, Sunday morning is important. It's important for us to come together and worship every week together and, and hear a, a message every week. But this isn't where you grow. Our growth happens from Sunday to Sunday. It's that in-between time. It's not the knowledge we're taking in. It's the application of that knowledge in the, our daily lives. It's that daily walk that matters most. And we need that reset. We need that catalyst. We need that Sunday morning. We need that camp. We need that retreat. We need that conference at work. We need that marriage seminar. We need that, that thing in our lives that are going to maybe shock us or, you know, push us. Uh, we need to take a diet. We need to, you know, do something to, to kickstart. But here's the thing. In our, our culture today, we go from diet to diet. And what happens? Then we, we get off the diet and we put it back on. Why? Because we didn't make changes to our daily lives. We just used a diet. And a diet can be good. It can kickstart you. But you've got to do the daily routine. So, 2 Peter chapter 1. I promised we'd go there. So here we go. Peter is writing to the church. And this is what he writes. By his divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. We've received all of this by coming to know him. Okay, everything from coming to know him, not by our own effort, by coming to know him. The one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. 
And because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises or potential. Okay? Potential. These are the promises, the potential, that enable you to share his divine nature. That's the potential. We get to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. That's the potential. So verse 5, for this very reason, make every effort to respond to God's promises by adding to your faith goodness. And to goodness, knowledge. And to knowledge, self-control. And to self-control, perseverance. And to perseverance, godliness. To godliness, mutual affection. To mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who fail to develop in this way, are short-sighted or blind. See, these qualities don't get added to our lives on Sunday. I think they get added into our lives between Sundays. I mean, we may be become aware of them at summer camp or at a retreat or at some level of a conference, but putting them into our lives in increasing measure doesn't happen at summer camp. It happens when we come home. Are we going to keep adding those things to our lives daily? Are we going to persevere when we feel like quitting? Are we going to be godly when we feel like being fleshly? Are we going to react to someone that we want to, you know, give them a piece of our mind? Or are we going to respond with the self-control that the Spirit gives us and give them a little piece of heaven instead? That's where it gets added to our minds. And look what Peter says. If we do these, if we add them to our lives, I believe we grow daily. But if we do not add them to our lives, I think by default we begin to die gradually. Peter doesn't say we die gradually. He says we're ineffective and unproductive. Ineffective and unproductive. I don't believe you're here today because you desire to be ineffective or unproductive. I think you're here because you desire to make a difference. I think you're here because you desire to grow. But it's not what you do today in this moment as much as what you're going to do once you leave this building. Peter also says that we could be short-sighted or blind. In other words, we don't see why algebra matters, so I'm not going to do my algebra. Or I don't see why this character flaw matters. Nobody's perfect, so I'm not going to deal with that character flaw. I don't think I need to submit to my boss because my boss is wrong. Now, if your boss is asking you to sin, absolutely your boss is wrong. You shouldn't do it. But if it's just your opinion, guess what? You're not the boss. And that's how we add these things to our lives. That's how we grow. That's how our character grows and develops. And so then Peter ends it, verse 10. So, dear brothers and sisters, work hard to prove that you're really among those whom God has called and chosen. Do these things, and you will never fall away. And God will give you a grand entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, we choose to grow daily, or by default, I believe we're choosing to die gradually. Both of those are slow processes, so you don't recognize them in the day-to-day. 
We don't recognize some of the growth that's happening in our lives because we're around ourselves every day. And let's face it, a lot of times we're, we, we think our, our daily lives a lot of times are just ugly. You know, I was disobedient here and I was, oh, I just didn't handle that right. And we think that the only times we grow is when we handle a situation perfectly. I mean, how many of you all week long handle every situation perfectly? We don't. But then we think we're not growing because, you know, I haven't been perfect this week. It's not about perfect. It's about adding to my life. It's about recognizing I didn't handle that well and I'm going to repent. I'm going to turn away from that and I'm going to handle it differently. I'm going to admit I was wrong. I'm going to apologize to who I need to apologize to. I'm going to fix what I did wrong. And I think we actually grow in some of the ugliest times of our lives when we think no growth is happening. That's why the Bible often tells us don't judge each other. You don't know how much character and growth is happening in someone's life just by looking at what's happening on the outside. You have no idea. And that's why the scripture warns us not to judge people by those appearances. Because God is doing a work. He's faithful to finish the work he started in us. And this message today is going to be a rebuke for some. Some that are maybe lazy and you're not paying attention to those daily choices. But, but God rebukes those who he loves. Okay, so it's not like a rebuke from a father who's mad at you and he's beating you over the head. It's a rebuke from a father who has better things in store for you. But for some of you, you're trying your best to put these things into practice and you just are weary and you feel like there's no hope. Well, against all hope, let me encourage you to just keep on hoping and keep on being faithful and keep on doing the things Sunday to Sunday and know that God is at work. There's a comedian by the name of Eddie Cantor. I don't know if you know who Eddie Cantor is, but in the 1930s, he became a seeming overnight success. And he is quoted as saying, it takes 20 years to make an overnight success. It takes 20 years to make an overnight success. Because there is a preparation time day to day in our lives, and we don't always notice it. There's a, f a picture I'm going to put up on the screen called the success of an iceberg, or the success is like an iceberg. And we look at people and we see the tip of that iceberg and we see the success in people's lives. But what we don't see is the years, the day after day after day after day after day of faithfulness, consistency, failing, getting back up, starting again, trying again. We don't see that stuff. And in our society, we celebrate these seeming overnight successes. People become millionaires overnight. People do this overnight. But if we trace many of their lives back, we're going to find that for 20 years or more, they just put in the work. They put in the work. They put in the work. That brings me to Bill Wilson. I have a gift for our graduates today. And I know there's a price tag on it, but uh, it's really a gift, I promise. And it's a book. What, did, what else did you expect me to get you? Because I love books, and I think that everyone needs to read all the time. And so this book is, is, is a book that I've been reading, and it's written by a guy named Bill Wilson. If you don't know who Bill Wilson is, let me give you a quick synopsis. When Bill was 12 years old, his mother left him on a street corner. She said, I'll be back. Three days later, she hadn't come back. But by the hand of God, he was found by a Christian man who sent him to summer camp. 
And that year at summer camp, Bill gave his life to the Lord. He had an encounter with the Lord. But it wasn't just that camp that made the difference in his life. It was a foster family. It was a church family that came around him day after day, week after week, year after year, and kept pouring into Bill's life. And Bill went to Bible college. Bill went to uh, work with Tommy Barnett out in Arizona, the Dream Center. And Bill came up with this plan. He felt like it was easier to be preventative. It was easier to minister to children who were on the streets or in broken families and try to keep them from making bad decisions rather than when they're in their 20s and 30s trying to put the pieces back together from lives that had already fallen apart. So he came up with this idea. He had a station wagon and a Yogi Bear costume. And he created a ministry in Brooklyn, New York known as Sidewalk Sunday School, Metro Center Kids Ministry, now called Metro World Child, is what it's come into now. But for over 50 years, Bill has poured his life into the kids in New York City, and now really around the world. And the idea of a sidewalk Sunday school was they would take the, the gospel message to the streets, and then every week they would bus those kids to church. So busing ministry, sidewalk Sunday school, all of it. Big thing in the 80s. Founder, right here. Bill Wilson. So I give you this book, graduates, and I'm going to make some books available for everybody because I think everyone should read it. 50 things, really short, 50 things from the life of a guy who's been in ministry for almost 50 years, trying to help us deal with the elephants in our lives because the book is called Elephants of Relevance. I don't know if you've heard the phrase, the elephant in the room. You know, it's the thing that everybody knows, but nobody's talking about. And so what he's saying is there are things in our lives, there are little flaws, character flaws, some of them little, some of them big. We know they're there. Everybody else knows they're there, but we really tend not to deal with them and hope we'll just succeed in spite of them. And so for one a week, for a year, for 50 days, you can take one of those, pray through it, read through it. And one of these devotions is what I shared just a few weeks ago with our track team because it was called Growing or Dying. Growing or Dying. And it, I read it before State Track and I loved it because he talks about how there's no maintaining in life. You don't maintain anything. Your marriage isn't maintaining. Your, your body is not maintaining. Nothing maintains. It's either growing daily or you're dying gradually in everything. And one of the things we've emphasized to our track team is that you, you don't maintain. I mean, you have to keep pushing yourself in a race, in practice, because if you don't keep pushing yourself, you think you're maintaining, but you're actually losing or slowing down. And so I want to read it to you really short. Let's just read it together. It's called Growing or Dying, Bill Wilson. Everything we evaluate in life is done in one of these two ways. All areas of life are either growing or dying. Our prayer life is either growing or dying. Our ministry is either growing or dying. Our marriage is either growing or dying. There is no such thing as maintaining. I think sometimes we feel like I'm just maintaining. You are not maintaining, not in anything. This elephant is so big that it cripples organizations, relationships, and churches. Nothing just maintains. The only evidence of life is growth. In the plant kingdom, in the animal kingdom, in the human kingdom, in the leadership kingdom, the only evidence that we have that something is alive is that it's growing. 
I call heaven and earth to record this day against you that I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. Therefore, choose life that both thou and thy seed may live. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 19. This not only affects you, but your descendants as well. There becomes that one moment in time in a human that you're growing and growing and then one day that stops. And the day that it stops, you begin to die. To me, that's an important truth. There's not a time to coast. There's not a time to maintain. Even in the hardship days of our lives, we're either pressing forward or we're moving backwards. I liken it often, and I've used this illustration before, to the moving walkways at the airport. You know, if you just stand on a moving walkway that's moving in the opposite direction you want to go, you're not going to get where you want to go. And life is like that. It's a moving walkway going in the opposite direction that you want to go, that God wants you to go. And if you're not moving forward, you're moving backwards. Oh, you feel like you're maintaining because I'm just going to stand and rest a while. But you're not. It's a deception. It's not reality. So you're either preparing every single day of your life for success or by default, you're preparing for failure. And some of you might be like, well, I don't want to be a big success. I'm not talking about being a big overnight success. I'm just talking about having a successful marriage, being a successful parent, being a successful employee. I mean, a lot of times we think we're getting passed over for promotion. Can I tell you, God's in control of your promotion. And sometimes you're being passed over, not because your boss doesn't like you, but because God's saying, I want to chisel something out first. Because if I put you in that position, you're not ready to handle it yet, so I'm just going to wait. Well, we don't like to think that. I mean, we all think we're prepared for whatever comes. I'm more prepared than that guy. And there's a reason that Paul, or God told, Jesus told Peter, don't worry about him. You look at you. I'll worry about him. What's it to you if I let him live until I come back? And because of that, there's the rumor widely circulated that John would never die. See how rumors start? Like that's, I mean, there's all kinds of cool stuff in the Bible you should read sometimes. It's great. But Jesus, okay, he's our ultimate example of this. I know that we, we look at Jesus and we're like, man, Jesus was, he was perfect. He, he did. But one of the things I've been studying recently is what happened in the first 30 years of Jesus' life. It's really quiet about that, isn't it, in the Bible? There's not a whole lot going on. I mean, we get his birth. We get him going to the temple eight days later. We get him fleeing to Egypt. We get him coming back. We get him in the temple at 12 years old being naughty, staying behind. I mean, he couldn't have been too naughty because he never sinned, so he wasn't disobedient. His parents weren't clear that when we go home, you have to travel with us. I don't know. I don't know how that all works. but it, 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 And that's really all we get about Jesus. But the Bible tells us some interesting things, like in Philippians chapter 2, that we need to have the same attitude that Christ had. Though he was God, he didn't think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's 
death on the cross. He laid aside his rights and privileges. He didn't try to promote himself. He trusted that the Father would promote him when he needed to be promoted. He didn't lean into the the rights and privileges he had as God. We knew he had them. He could have called legions of angels to take him off the cross, and he chose not to. So how did he do that? I mean, how do you and I struggle with some of these things, laying aside our rights and privileges and humbling ourselves and sacrificing and, and being obedient? And I mean, how did he do so well and we sometimes do so poorly? Well, in Luke chapter 2, this is where the end of Jesus being naughty. Remember, he stayed in the temple and he, his parents traveled. And at the end of it, when his parents come back and get him and they're like, Jesus, didn't you know we were looking for you? We were so worried about you. Jesus is like, didn't you know I'd be in my father's house? So he's starting to understand his father's house, who he is, his role on the earth, because he's a human being, laid aside his rights and privileges, growing just like us. But then I love verses 51 and 52. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth. By the way, just let me tell you this. Nazareth is actually north of Jerusalem, but geographically it's down. You know, if you know my pet peeve, when you're in a city and you say, hey, do you want to go up to Mitchell? You don't go up to Mitchell, you go down to Mitchell. Okay, and if you go down to Aberdeen, you go up to Aberdeen. But here, you know, when I first read this, I'm like, oh, it's up to Nazareth, but it's actually down, so it's okay. (laughs) Totally unrelated to the sermon, probably just had too much coffee. But he came to Nazareth, just making sure you're staying awake, and he was submissive to them. I mean, I get that he was submitted to God. We just read that in Philippians chapter 2. But submissive to people that he created? I mean, do you, I know that Mary and Joseph were, were chosen to, to host Jesus, the Messiah, because God knew they could be trusted. He knew they would, would lead Jesus in a way to know God and know the word and how he would be raised. And so they weren't just chosen because they were poor. They were chosen because of their character. But do you think they had perfect theology? You think Jesus ever had a moment with his parents when they were telling him something and he's like, you're not right. That is not how that goes. You're misremembering that. I mean, but the the scripture says he he was submissive to them. And for all we know, he was submissive to them for 30 years. 30 years. So submissive, in fact, that when he attends a wedding and there's no more wine and mom says they have no more wine. So much implied in that statement. See, Mary had pondered all these things in her heart. She knew Jesus could handle this situation. And he even says to her, my time has not yet come. What are you doing? Somehow, mom has the power to kind of overthrow God's plan. Because his time had not yet come to perform miracles, and yet he performs a miracle because mom said so. I don't know how all this works, but he's so submitted to them. And you and I think we should, we know more than our parents. We know more than our teachers. We know more than our bosses. We know more. I mean, if anybody had the right to know more than somebody, it would have been Jesus. But he fully entrusted himself to the Father. He didn't have to argue. He didn't have to spend all of his time on Facebook arguing with people that he didn't know. 
In fact, when people wanted to force him to do something that he didn't want to do, he just kind of slipped away. I believe God puts these people in our lives so just like Jesus, for 30 years or more, we can keep adding to our faith goodness and adding to goodness knowledge and adding to knowledge perseverance, self-control, everything that we need to keep adding to our lives. God is in charge of the fullness of time. In Galatians chapter 4, it tells us that when the fullness of time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, and he was born under the law to redeem those who were under the law so that we would be we might receive adoption as sons. God had a design. And God's design for Jesus wasn't, hey, just wait 30 years and uh, then, you know, in 30 years or so, we'll, we'll put you into public ministry and, and uh, then we'll let you live for three years and then we'll crucify you. That's my plan. And uh, there's a reason. I believe Jesus was fully human. I believe when the scripture says in Hebrews chapter 4 that we have a high priest who was tempted in every way just as we are, and yet was without sin. I believe that's true. And I believe it took Jesus 30 years to develop the type of character as a human being that he needed to establish so that in Luke chapter 4, when he faces the tempter in the desert, he's able to overcome that temptation. He didn't overcome that temptation and spout out the word of God in the desert just because he spent 30 years playing video games. No! He spent 30 years submitting himself to parents, studying the Torah just like every other Jewish boy, putting these things in his life so that when the time of testing came, that's what came out. He was growing daily. Do you think he ever wrestled with the fact that could we speed this up a little bit? Do you know that one of the temptations that he faced in the wilderness was to speed up the process? I'll give you all the authorities, all of the kingdoms of the earth, everything you came here to get. Satan says, I'll give it to you if you just bow down and worship me. I'll give you that promotion. I'll give it to you. You want to short circuit it? I'll, I'll, you want to be an overnight success? I'll give you what you want. I'll let it be right now. You want it now? Here, I'll offer it to you. And how many of us are willing to trade the daily growth that's required? The reason Jesus succeeded in that moment was the 30 years of preparation that he had before that moment. Then in Luke chapter 4, when the temptation had ended, the devil departed until a more opportune time. Do you remember when that opportune time was? One of them was when Peter said, oh, Jesus, you're, you're not going to die. What are you, you're crazy. What are you talking like this? We're not going to let you be crucified. And what does Jesus look at Peter and say? Get behind me, Satan. You can't short circuit. The only way is through the cross. Do not try to tempt me with some other way. It's the effort. It's the grind. And then, no, I know it's hard. I know day after day you question, why do I keep doing the right thing? It doesn't seem to be working out. Growing daily or dying daily. Gradually. In Luke chapter 22, Jesus says, Father, if you're willing, remove this cup from me. He was human. Okay, he, even though he had settled in his heart, the cross is the only way, he's still looking for a way out. And if you know anything about the Garden of Gethsemane, it sits right between the Jerusalem and the wilderness. 
So when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, he knows they're coming to arrest him. He knows what's ahead. And he's praying this prayer. And in just 15 minutes, he can disappear and they're not going to find him. Totally disappear. But he had already made that decision years before that I'm going to face this moment. He was tempted in every way just like you. And he never sinned. But by the way, that's not like a slam on us. I mean, it's, you got to understand when the writer of Hebrews is saying that, he's not like saying, you know, Jesus never failed, so why do you? Okay, that's not what he's saying because if you read the rest of it, we didn't read it, but let's go back. So let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy, what we don't deserve, and grace, what we don't deserve, in our time of need. Meaning, Jesus was our perfection, not so he could be the older brother that always rubs our noses in it, that he always did things right. Why weren't you more like me? Mom and dad are too soft with you. That's not our older brother. Okay, he's not like your older brother who picks on you and says you're not as good as him. He's willing to give us everything we need when we fail and when we don't fail. That is the, the power of it. I mean, even the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 said, we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Ever been there? The point where you're just sick of doing the right thing, you're sick of you know, just trying to be faithful and you actually despair of life itself and you're like, I don't want to live. I just, you know, I, I mean, I, I don't want to kill myself either, but I just, I'm done living. I, I just quit. I give up. I'm just going to do whatever. Paul did. But it's in those moments that we come before the throne of grace and say, no, <laughs> it is well with my soul. And though the trial still stands, his love will be my defense. And I will say, it is well with my soul. It's really not just a song. It's really a life. It's the scripture. It's the word. And so you and I are pressed on every side, but we're not crushed. We're struck down, but we're not destroyed. And we can press on. So for graduates today, I didn't, get, I didn't talk to you about the book. You get to keep this. It's free if you'll read it. Because I, like <clears throat> I don't like to give people books they're not going to read. So if you're going to read it, <clears throat> excuse me, take the envelope out, <clears throat> give the envelope back to me, and I'm going to read it. If you're not going to read it, you won't hurt my feelings. Just put it on the back. Someone else could buy it and read it. Um, it's a great opportunity for you to look into your own life and grow to take some things that may be elephants in your life that God wants to grow. And for other people who are like, maybe I want a copy of that book. Um, more are coming, but I had to order them from farther away because they were cheaper. Um, and so for the graduates, you got a more expensive copy. You're welcome. Because I wanted to put it in your hand today, but I wanted to give you a choice. You can either choose to read it or you can choose not to. And your salvation doesn't hang on whether you read it or not, so please don't feel that type of pressure. But I wanted you to make a choice. Because every single one of us in this room, as Peter said, have potential. We've got potential to succeed in the kingdom, or we've got the potential to fail, and it's totally up to us. 
And most of it is not acquiring information that we don't already know. Most of it is just applying that information from Sunday to Sunday. It's about making sure we're dealing with the elephants in our room. It's about making sure we're walking in submitted obedience to God and even submitted obedience to his earthly authority. In a day and age where parents are going crazy on coaches at Little League games, let's you and I live different. When our coworkers are in the, the break room complaining about how imperfect our boss is and all of his flaws and failures or her flaws and failures, let's be different. Let's do things the right way, day after day after day, whether we get passed over for promotions, whether we see any benefit of us or not, whether you feel like sometimes you're in algebra class wondering why in the world am I studying X, Y, Z? Because sometimes in life, that's, we're like, God, I keep applying these principles and they're not coming to pass. He who promised is faithful. He will not leave you nor forsake you. He will finish the work that he started in you. So let's stop waiting to become an overnight success and let you and I decide to start preparing for it. In our daily walk with the Lord, in our habits, in our disciplines, in our earthly relationships, let's just stop trying to maintain our marriages and really start to invest in them. Let's start to grow our lives because we've been given everything we need for life and godliness. So we can choose it. So we can choose this week to grow daily or die gradually. And the choice is yours. I want you to stand with me. I would give an altar call and have you come and receive something, but that's not really what today's all about. Today's about what happens when you walk out the doors. Maybe today was a reminder for some of you, you need to stop being lazy. Hopefully this was maybe like a kick in the pants a little bit. Stir up the gift that's in you. Stop waiting. Maybe for some of you, it didn't need to be a kick in the pants. Maybe it needed to be an arm on the shoulder that says, you know what, don't quit. Don't quit now. God is faithful and he will see you through. And so I don't know how it speaks to you, but I pray that his word speaks to you. And I pray that the moment you walk out this door, that from Sunday to Sunday, you apply it every day. And so, Father, I just thank you again today that you have given us everything that we need for life and godliness, and you've given it to us because we've come to know you. Because you sent your son when we were your enemies, and he made a way for us to come into relationship with you. He has supplied us through his grace and through your spirit everything that we need to succeed everything that we need to carry your nature, everything that we need to escape the corruption of this world, everything that we need. And God, my prayer today is for each and every one of us to keep growing every day of our lives, to not allow ourselves to be deceived into just trying to maintain our time with you, not just trying to maintain our relationships with other people, not just trying to maintain our lives, our ministries. But God, seeking every single day to press in to know you more, to press in to display you more, to press in. God, even when we don't understand, even when we don't see the benefit, Holy Spirit, we need the grace to persevere. 
So Holy Spirit, we ask for it right now. We come boldly right now to the throne and we receive mercy for all of our past failures, for all of the times that we did give up, for all of the times that we did act how our flesh wanted us to act. And we also receive your grace to change as we walk out these doors today. And so Holy Spirit, we receive that grace now. Help us to walk in it, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen.